Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. I'm really excited about our guest today. If you're listening to this episode before October 10th of 2020, you're getting a conversation that's going to lead up to the biohacking conference. And if you're listening to it after October 10th, either you were at the biohacking conference virtually, which was epic and amazing, or you weren't and you feel like you've missed out and you're probably not even a very good person because you weren't there. I would understand that feeling. In fact, I would have it myself. So you better save yourself from all that pain just by going to the virtual biohacking conference at biohackingconference.com. You guys knew I was going to say that, didn't you? (laughs) Now, enough about the conference. You knew I was going to plug it because, well, it's cool. What I'm really excited about is Lisa Nichols, our guest today, because Back in the day, several years ago, um, I think it was uh, it was at Vision's event, wasn't it, when we first met? Mm-hmm. Yes. As a Vision Lakiani's uh, event. He has these events around the world that are really cool. Vision's been on the show. I've been in his book. He's been in my book, and he's a, he's a good friend. Uh, I sat down, and I had dinner, and I, I was kind of stunned by this story that, that Lisa told me, and we got to know each other then. And it helps to explain why she's one of the world's most requested motivational speakers, a big media personality. And she's founder and CEO of a company called Motivating the Masses, which reaches, get this, 80 million people. And it makes Bulletproof Radio look like just a tiny drop in uh, tiny drop in the bucket. Because <laughs> my bragging rights, Lisa, are like, we've had 200 million downloads. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got 80 million people. <laughs> See, there's no between downloads and people here. So I bow down to your uh, reaching the masses uh, uh, abilities and accomplishments. We're dancing together, brother. Dancing uh, together. Of course we are. Now, the thing that just still blows me away that you shared over dinner when we first met is that you were a struggling mom on public assistance. Mm-hmm. And you did something and became a million, a million dollar millionaire entrepreneur. What did you do? <laughs> well, it wasn't <laughs> overnight. <laughs> so let me be clear that it wasn't overnight. I um, I began to implement a number of things. Number one, I realized that wherever my mental mindset was, my bank account, my lifestyle was going to follow. So the first thing I did was I began to feed myself something new, feed myself a new conversation, feed myself a new possibility. Um, And then I began to, um, as a technical skill set, I began to share my speaking ability. I knew I had a gift. You know, sometimes you know you have that something. Yeah. But you just don't know what to do with it, how to wrap your arms around it. I think one of the biggest pains, Dave, that I used to experience was people saying, oh, my God, you're one of the most amazing speakers I've ever heard. But I had no idea what to do with that. And I go, and that means what? <laughs> right. can, can you show me how to monetize that this gift that you say I have? And so I learned how to monetize it. I learned how to um, wrap skill set around gift because sometimes gift alone isn't enough. You have to wrap the skill set. And the skill set that I learned that I wrapped around, it was a skill set of a CEO. How do I do that? So I had to learn how to become at peace with money. My historical background with money was that there was never enough of it. We ran out of money before we ran out of month. Uh, money was divisive. It was the bone of contention in my home. Uh, it was the lack. We always robbed Peter to pay Paul. I never thought Peter and Paul could both be paid. <laughs> and so I had to change my relationship to money. And my relationship to me and money. And then I had to change my relationship to me and a lot of money. And so there was this process. Um, I delved 
I delved into understanding about finances, money, numbers, sales, so that I can be comfortable with that. And, um, and then I got on the treadmill and I'm a grinder. Will Smith says it best in an interview that he did years ago. He said, I might not be the smartest one. I might be the, not, might not be the cutest one, but I will always be the hardest working one. He said, yeah. if I'm, he said, if I'm on the treadmill next to the next guy, either one or two things are going to happen. Either he's going to get off, I'm going to die on the treadmill. <laughs> and, and I was willing to stay on the treadmill for 10,000 hours. I was willing to go learn what I didn't know, say what I've never said, and do what I've never done before so that I can become the woman I've always known myself to be. I wanted to meet her. I wanted to meet this image of me that I had in my mind. And that's what I did for the next, you know, 15, 20 years or so. Have you actually met the woman you want to be? I have. You have? All right. I have. I have. Uh, She's always growing, so she hasn't arrived anywhere. Ah, that's beautiful. Yeah, she hasn't arrived anywhere, but I, I see glimpses of her. I see glimpses of women that I looked up to. I see it in myself now. I, I, I picked up enough nuggets to go, oh, I know how to be that woman. But she, I'm, always, I'm always ready for the next version of me. So I'm not settled. I haven't arrived. I'm on a journey. But I've touched parts of me that I aspired to become 20 years ago. You know, and now, you know, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm still on the journey. I'm very much still on the journey. How do you keep yourself from sort of resting on your laurels? You're like, yeah, I, I've kind of done this. I've been on Oprah. I've been on Steve Harvey. Uh, you know, I, I've done all these cool things. You know, maybe I should just like chill and go play golf or whatever it is you do for fun. Um, but you don't seem to like, like that. Your, your nose is to the grindstone still. What, yeah. What's, what's motivating that? Well, one, because I, being on Oprah or Dr. Phil or Steve Harvey was never the landing point. It was never the measure that I had made it anywhere. What, what was the measure? Um, and it's going to sound crazy or corny, but <laughs> it really is to hear job well done, my child. Wow. It really is to hear job well done, my child. And so there's always more work to do. There's al- always more people to serve. And so I believe that Oprah and Larry King and Steve Harvey or whatever other accolades that may reside in a bio or something, those are just indicators of some results that I produce in the world, but it's not an indicator that I've done my job. I, I love the way you put that. Um, and it's, it's easy for stuff like that to go to your head. And I, I remember sort of uh, being in awe. Uh, I was on Steve Harvey one time uh, and I, I was kind of going in there going, I know Steve's a really big deal, but I don't watch TV. <laughs> so I, I had no idea what to expect going in there. Right. Um, and I walk in, he goes, Dave? And I'm like, yeah. And, and he goes, oh my God, I just told my people I wanted them to call you because I wanted to ask you about your diet stuff. And here you are showing up on my show. Oh my goodness. Because he hadn't like known who was recording right, on right, what right, day right. and all that. And it was this weird serendipity thing. And I found he was such a like a kind and curious and empathetic and just not what you expect yeah. when you see the social media presence and you see, you know, all the cool stuff he's doing. Um, so for you, it didn't go to your head, but why didn't it? I mean, you're saying you, you grew up in this, this household where, you know, there was, there was not enough and where most people like, Oh my God, you've made it. You've been on, you know, Dr. Oz or Dr. Phil or anything. It's like, yeah. that's how did you know that that wasn't the end point? Well, it was never a part. It, I've never once in my life said, I want to make the red carpet 
Like it was never a marker. So it was it never, wasn't about fame for you. No, it's never been. If, yeah. if there is any fame in my life, it's a byproduct of me doing the right thing and what I'm supposed to be doing. It's a byproduct. Uh, thank you for saying that. Everybody listening to the show right now, listen to that and, and take that to heart. What, are, what is the cost of fame? <laughs> oh, how long is this show? Um, <laughs> uh, so, so number one, uh, I still get uncomfortable when people say fame in me. I, it's so funny. You just said yeah. that to me and I was like, <laughs> so I, I'm, I still get used to that um, uh, because it was a byproduct for me. Um, the cost uh, is high and, and I think it's always going to be high because anything, yeah. uh, anything worth having is going to cost you something. And there are ways you can make it not be so high that it becomes a pyrrhic victory. Uh, I've always been fascinated with the concept of a Pyrrhic victory named after General Pyrrhus, uh, a general who won two wars. And at the end of winning the second war, he turned and said, I can't afford to win another war again. And when someone said, how can, why don't you want to win another war again? He said, because the cost of winning these wars have cost me my best friends and my best generals. And then the Pyrrhic victory was, was, was birthed. The phrase is when the cost of the victory outweighs the victory itself. Um, so the cost of fame or success or whatever it is that, that you're pursuing to me is often high, but that's because your conviction and your convenience won't live on the same block. And yeah. whenever you're pursuing something you really want, at some point it's going to test your conviction and the test of your conviction is going to be because it costs you something. And those who really don't want it that much, they'll opt out because the cost is too high. Those who say no, no matter what, they'll pay the price, which is why they're living in their conviction at some point. The key is not to pay such a high price to get to fame that fame doesn't even give you what you want because the price was so high. And that's what you see with all the celebrities who uh, commit suicide or they become alcoholics or they need therapy. The cost was so high yeah. that now you're living in a period of victory. And, and I just got to say, in all transparency, had I not changed some things about 10 years into building Motivate the Masses, I would be experiencing a period of victory right now because I was definitely on the path where I didn't realize the price I was, I was about to pay in my relationships and my health was going to be higher and bigger than any success I could ever achieve. Wow, such wisdom. I actually, I've never talked about this. I had to, to actually do some work with a therapist just to, yeah. to do that because when fame comes on like that, I, I, I frankly don't give any any credence. That I don't care about being well-known, but I care about my message reaching a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the mm-hmm. cost was fame. Mm-hmm. But when it comes on, man, it pushes buttons. And so I, I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know that I like this so much. Right, right. Um, you, you have to stay steady in who you knew yourself to be before yeah. you got famous. Um, um, I, if I can just add this, just because you just yeah. said that, I was um, Jennifer Hudson a- a invited me to her pre Grammy party tons of years ago when she was in um, Dream Girls, and she had just come out. I think it was Dream Girls. I can't. Remember. I think it was. Dream. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, and I didn't. I didn't know Jennifer Hudson. Like I don't know. You know what, what am I doing being invited to her party? Well, apparently she saw The Secret and she wanted me there. So I go to this Hollywood party, my first ever Hollywood pre Grammy or pre Oscar. I don't know which one it was. Maybe it was the Oscars. I don't know. And I'm not a Hollywood girl. I was raised in L.A. I saw all the 
the downsides of Hollywood. So I go to this party. I feel like a fish out of water. Everyone is recognizing me because the secret had just come out. It had just been on Oprah. I don't know anyone. I feel like, and I'm awkward at parties by myself. You have to know. I am like awkward bird. We, we can hang together. Oh, yes. And, I, and, and you would be my binky. Like I would hold on tight, right? And so I'm just there and everyone, all these actors and actresses are coming over to me, but everyone's just telling me their problems. Like I feel like I'm like the, the party oh, wow. therapist, right? And so Jennifer Hudson comes in fashionably late and she notices me and she's like, oh my God. And she seats me right next to her at the dinner table, moves whoever was sitting next to her. And she leans into me and she goes, so of anyone, you could tell me what should I be doing right now? And it was right before her career exploded. And I said to her what I just said just now, I said, who were you in Chicago, right before all of this occurred, what did you believe in? What was important to you? What was non-negotiable? And she started saying, that. I said, well, hold on to that because it'll all be tested. And you, and you can select to remember or you can choose to forget. And so that's, I had to go through some coaching and counseling when, um, when the secret happened because it, it felt like it was overnight, though, though it wasn't, but it did. Uh, I love it that you're so open about that uh, because it, it's something that many people aspire to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, many people listen to, you know, someday I'm going to make it and have all these followers or I'm you know, going to be famous. But it's that same old, you know, when I have a BMW, I'll be happy. Right. <laughs> I Until promise you, have you that if you do achieve fame, you'll be happy right. or you won't be happy, but it won't be right. because you achieve fame, right? Right, right, and, right. Absolutely. When, when did you identify happiness along your path and say, oh, you know, I'm mm. happy most of the time? Mm-hmm. I, so first, um, I be, let me just talk about my conscious path. I got on my conscious path of self-discovery, um, because I wasn't happy. Right. So I didn't, I, I wasn't happy pursuing more happy. <laughs> okay. So you're, I, I'm unhappy. Right. Any happy is good. I'm, I'm hurting. Okay. Pursuing relief. Got it. And so um, I, I often share with people inside when I'm being interviewed, I, I please don't mistake me for someone who decided I want to do transformation to transform the world. No, that wasn't me. I wanted to discover transformation to transform my chaos. So I mm. entered into this world to rescue Lisa. And when I rescued Lisa, I thought, how cool is this? If it worked <laughs> If it worked on a hard head, stubborn woman like, because I'm stubborn, ooh, if it can work on me, it might work on other people. So I, 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 I wanted to share the good news, Dave. Yeah. I wanted to share the good news because you couldn't have told me that I was going to discover this kind of happy again. I didn't believe it because I was so in my darkness. I was engaged to be married um, and my fiance, my then fiance, turned abusive and became verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, and ultimately physically abusive. And by the time I was able to get him out of my home and out of my life, I was in a pretty dark place. And my mom noticed it and she took me to the doctor reluctantly. And the doctor said, I'll never forget those words. She says, Ms. Nichols, um, you are clinically depressed. And it was like Charlie Brown's parents were speaking. Want, 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 want. Want, want. Because you can't and, hear it, right? Because I can't hear it. And then she 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 commences to write a prescription and hand it to me. And I read the words and I see Prozac and Lisa Nichols on the same sheet. 
Wow. And that was my wake up moment. That was, and I and I kept staring at it and I kept saying Prozac, Prozac. That looks that sounds familiar. But I just could not see Prozac in my name. She says, "Yeah, that's because you're depressed." I said, "Do you mean I'm sad?" She said, mm-hmm. "I mean you're really 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 sad, Lisa." And that was my journey. I said, "Okay, I know I can recognize the word sad and I know the formula, the solution to to not be sad anymore." My my theory was I lost myself. I lost myself in being his fiance, Jelani's mom, and then the victim of his abuse. I couldn't find Lisa anymore. So I spent the next several months rediscovering Lisa, getting face to face with Lisa in the mirror, re- reaffirming who I am and whose I am. And in that journey, I turned my crawl back in, back into a walk. I turned my walk into a run. And eventually, eventually, I turned my run into a sore. And when I did that, it felt so good. I wanted to pick other people who were crawling up. I wanted to pick other people who were walking up. I wanted to jog beside other people who were jogging. And I wanted to see if I can help as many people as possible soar. And so I just started like literally the wounded healer. It was the wound. I fell into it. Wow. It still takes so much courage to look in the mirror uh, when you're that far (laughs) down. Uh, I mean, a lot of courage. Uh, Some people might even call it balls. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, uh, so many people don't, right? And they stay stuck there. Do you think you're you're somehow special, or it, it was there a, a spark? Uh, you know, you you saw that that prescription pad, mm-hmm. but a lot of people would have just said, "I'm just going to take the Prozac, uh, and and I'm just going to sort of stick in the victim thing and 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 stay." But somehow, something happened there, and I've seen you share whatever that is with other people, mm-hmm. and I want to know how do you transfer that courage mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to look up instead of mm-hmm. look forward. Mm-hmm. How do you move that into another person's mind? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a great question. Um, I, I didn't, I, I, I've always said I want to protect my future memories of myself. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And, and I say that to as many people as possible. Your job is to protect your future memories. Uh, so the choices you're about to make are going to be your memories one day. <laughs> right. And so I, I wanted to protect the future memories of myself by by playing full out, because whatever story I write is the story I have to read for the rest of my life. And I don't mind writing a story, Dave, that said I fell down. I don't mind. See, the difference between me and most people is that a lot of people are afraid to fall down. I'm totally fine with falling down a thousand times because I know in my story, I'll get up. I might not spring up. I might stagger up. I might wobble up, but I'm not questioning if I'll get up. And so I knew that. I, I've, I've known that. My grandmother, my mother, my father said, you have the ability to get up, baby. That was the best gift they ever gave me. Is they said, you may not be able to avoid being knocked down. And we don't want you to get knocked down, but you might get knocked down. Life happens. But what you have to know is that you're made up of get up muscles. And so when I saw the Prozac, I went, oh, I'm knocked down. And I gave myself permission to get up in whatever time I needed to get up in. But I didn't give myself permission to stay parked and laying down. That's what you don't get to do. And so how I transfer that when I'm giving that to someone else is I believe that in your darkest hours, you've forgotten who you are and whose you are. You've forgotten your birthright. You've forgotten the right 
to bounce back, the right to love again, the right to forgive and be forgiven, the right to love the unlovable. We just lose sight of that because whatever the situation is, it seems bigger than what our rights are because you can't see the right. You can't touch the right. But that's where you need a champion beside you to remind you. And then the other thing that I would always do is I would borrow someone else's lenses of me. So if if someone saw a greater version of me than I was seeing of myself, I would borrow their lenses every day, all day. And, and, And people got used to me doing that. Like they would go, you, you, you want to borrow my lens and sound like I just created, I created these processes, Dave, just to keep me going. And I remember once I was on stage, I, Jelani was 10 years old and I was, I was away for 11 days and I'd never been away for 11 days uh, straight at that time. And I'm on stage and in front of about 800 people in DC. And, um, this woman at the end yells out, you're such a great mom. And I felt like a total fraud because I had been away from Jelani for 11 days. I walked off stage and the smartest thing I could do for myself as I was in this dark place in my head about being a horrible mom, the smartest thing I can do, I got off stage and I called a girlfriend of mine who knows me as a mother. I said, please tell me the type of mother you see see me to be. Share, Share with me your lenses. And she not only told me what kind of mom I was, she gave me detailed examples of why I was that kind of mom, why I was a great mom. And so I constantly did that to be able to look myself in the mirror is that I also borrowed other people's lenses. Wow. That's a really powerful technique. And it even seems related to uh, things like what Napoleon Hill would do and and think and grow rich. And the the original uh, personal development guy in the West going back long before you and I were born. Yes. Um, he talks about making these sort of virtual masterminds and, and sort of having different lenses of yourself and, mm-hmm. and taking on other people's perspectives inside mm-hmm. your mind. Mm-hmm. Is that how you do it? I mean, yeah. are you like taking deep breaths and sitting there and, and literally saying, if I put myself behind their eyes and I looked at myself, they would see this? Or, or is it some other metaphysical process I, have, I can't imagine? Well, um, mine is simplified. Um, okay. I, I actually ask and I take notes. <laughs> And I Whoa, have mind blowing. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm a real simple girl. Like right, promise you anything I, I invite anyone to do listening to my voice, it will not be rocket science. You should be able to do it. But I always do that because I don't want anyone to let themselves off the hook because confusion is a strategy. And mm. so I'm always simplifying things to its most simple form so that you cannot use confusion as your strategy to stay and active. So I, t- I have a notebook. I, now I have probably about five over the years. And when people, I ask this simple question, please tell me how you see me or tell wow. me what you see for me. And I take copious notes and I say who it's from and I write the date and I close the book. And I'll sit sometimes and I'll grab a book when I'm on the plane and I'm lonely because I'm on the plane next to seat 2B. They don't know me. I don't know them. No one's talking. It's dark. It's an overnight flight. And I go through the book and I go, wow. Because sometimes I'll read something that someone's seeing me and I go, what? how did you see that? But then I, I put myself in a space of cognitive dissonance. Stretch yourself, Lisa, to be that person. Now, somehow it's a dichotomy because they already saw that person in me, but I didn't. But then I'll go, Hmm, what does it mean to show myself that in me? And so I use, and I only allow conscious, um, uh, forward-moving people to speak life into me and for me to write that down. I don't want anyone to let me off the hook. Don't let me off the hook. But I, I, and I don't want you also to be afraid of my, my giant 
I want you to call me to a greater version of myself, a greater version of service, a greater version of love, a greater version of forgiveness, not just a greater version of money and success and monetary things. That's just one small indicator of who I'm being in the world. But call me to all those levels of servant leadership. And that's what I see myself as. I'm a servant leader who sit in the role of a CEO or a transformational coach, but I'm a servant leader above all. That's who I am. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD plus. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. You mentioned something a little while ago. You said you decided to learn how to be a CEO. And I, yeah. I'm thinking back a long time ago, I had an uncle who had started a, a tech company before it was cool to start tech companies and made mm. stupid amounts of money. Um, and I went fishing with him uh, in Alaska and I must've been like, geez, pretty young. So I remember the photos of the time I was still really fat. And uh, I asked him, like, just getting going in my career, like, you know, what, what should I do? And he goes, well, there's a real good shortage of CEOs out there. People can actually do that job. Wow. You, should, you should learn how to be a CEO. And, and the thought, of, it kind of stunned me because I'm like, the most I could ever be is a CIO. And I'm this kind of fat geek and I you know, want to hack your computer. And it, that actually sat with me all this time. He's passed away um, years ago. Uh, but I, I, I look at that and I realize the wisdom in that. Hmm. Because hmm. to be a CEO you kind of have to own your crap, right? Because right. there's no one above you and you know everyone's yeah. looking at you all the time, yeah. but it, it's also kind of stressful. And, and you feel like, you, know, you sound like you've, uh, you've learned to cope with having both the, the eyes of many people on you, but also having your own team rely on you. Yeah. I, and also as a mom, you know, you have your family relying on you. So all yeah. these people relying on you. Who are you relying on? So... I appreciate that question. I, number one, relying on me um, doesn't take away my permission to ask for help either. Beautiful. So um, I don't, I don't allow my role or my success or my title to take away my permission to ask for help, um, to get a mirror, get, have a mirror relationship. Like, what do you see? Let me tell you what I see for you. What do you see for me? 
You know, um, what are three things I do well? What's two areas I can improve upon? I get to ask the question and I get to answer the question as well. So one of the things I think as a CEO that I, I, I'd like to believe I've done well is to allow, allow the humanity of me as a person to stay intact while I serve as a CEO. You know, it's a role and I'm honored to be in the role, um, but I also have my own needs. The other thing um, that I, um, I take my CEO hat off. <laughs> When? It's the, it is not welded to my head, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> contrary to what I believed for years. Um, I take my CEO hat off. Um, uh, these days, I've, I I do a lot more of it because I I'm living in the Bahamas, <laughs> and uh, it, it it speaks to the environment is so different. I've only lived here for uh, eight months, and it's so different that it keeps inviting me to what, what, what do you want different in your life, Lisa? You know, so I keep leaning into that. Um, I, when I'm with my team and, and, and we have a guideline, put out any, throw any problem into the pot, into the hat that you want, throw any problem out there, but chase it with the solution that you recommend. And so um, I, I believe in empowering everyone on my team to lead their division. You're the CEO, you're the CEO, you're the CEO of your division. <laughs> and so everyone has immense ownership and, and uh, couple that with working at home and a bunch of um, uh, uh, self-sacrifice and team members, I have to make them stop on the weekend practically. But um, for a long time, I didn't, I didn't, I knew I wasn't a good CEO, but but I only wasn't a good CEO because I didn't know what being a CEO was. I was, I was a, I was a speaker. <laughs> I was a speaker. I was talent. You know, yeah. I could, I could dazzle, but I wasn't managing the numbers or the operations or the marketings or the scaling or the systems. And I didn't know anything. It was foreign. That was foreign to me. And I was so intimidated. And so I kept hiring people that sounded smarter than me <laughs> that I, and I kept putting them in positions to go like, handle that, handle that over there. And, um, I realized that they could never own my vision. And so I just yeah. began about 10 years ago. It's recent too. I've been in business now for 22 years, just probably about 10 years ago. I just went, okay, so I can't avoid this whole running the company thing. <laughs> and I, I just kept saying, I want to be a speaker. I want to be a speaker. Well, you've been a speaker. You've been speaking everywhere. Now be a CEO. And when I stepped into being a CEO, I, I got to tell you, I think I enjoy it more. Um, uh, and I love speaking. I love training. I love teaching other people how to master their speaking techniques. But I love watching and, and building an enterprise um, that can touch more and serve more. And I used to think that if I didn't touch someone directly, I really didn't give them value. And, and really, that was a selfish concept. That was just me wanting to see who I touched. And so wow. now, yeah, once I got that, like Lisa, that's, that's, that's selfish. That's about you. That's you feeding your ego or your she-go. And when I realized that, I realized that if someone's touched by my work and they never meet me and I never see them, but their life is changed in some small microscopic way because they cross my path via video or someone, then I've done my job. And it's not up to me to keep score on how many people I touched. It's not up to me to track those numbers. That's, that, that's not the case. That's not what, what's valuable. When I got that, then I moved away from that because some most people are pursuing popularity, acting as if they're pursuing they're pursuing popularity, but they're acting as if they're pursuing impact. Mm. And, 
And, and so just get really clear. And I got clear at one point, popularity was important to me because it validated what I was doing. And then I had to grow up and grow out of that and go, okay, so popularity is not important to me. Now impact is important. Well, when impact is important, then you're willing to work behind the scenes and, and, you know, have your el- have your elbow up to your elbows in mud. No one even knows you have mud all over you because you want the impact. And so, um, when I got there, then that's when I gave my CEO permission to be born because she was willing to do whatever behind the scenes. However, with whomever she was willing to raise leaders up versus be the leader. Um, in my prayer time about seven years ago, I was praying, God, what else do I do? What else do I do? Um, and <laughs> in my prayer time, I heard you're, you're the, my, you're the Michael Jordan of speaking in, to, in some people's eyes, but I don't need you to be the Michael Jordan of speaking. I need you to be the Phil Jackson. Mm. Of, of transformation. And so I like, it felt like it was overnight that all of a sudden it stopped being about me touching a bigger stage and started being about me helping as many people see their dream. What a powerful message to receive. I, <laughs> I, I love that. And if, if it makes you feel better, you're saying you were, uh, not that you need to feel better, but you're saying, you know, it was intimidating. Look, I have an MBA from Morton. And it's still intimidating. Like it, it doesn't matter how much knowledge yeah. you have. You're like, yeah. well, there's a lot of zeros on those numbers. And if you screw it up, like you screw it up, right? Like, yeah, the, yeah. The pressure is real. Yeah, it um, is real. So I, I, I feel you on that one. Amen. And, and I'm really curious when you are praying, right? And and you're asking, you know, what's this? Be, how does that? How does that appear to you? I mean, you're mm. you're a leader in personal development. So yeah. I mean, do you hear a booming voice? Does a burning bush talk to you? Like, like, yeah. like how does the message yeah. land? Um, I learned very, very, well, not very early on. I, I won't say that. I, I learned very clearly for me that I used to pray and ask the universe, ask God questions, and then I get super busy and I complain that I'm not finding the answers. And number one, an answer isn't something to find. An answer is something to allow to uncover itself. I love that. So we're in so we're we're in such steady pursuit, and it, you don't pursue the answer; you allow the answer to uncover itself. And, and and so to me, prayer is asking the universe for what you need and want. Stillness is being quiet long enough to hear the answer. And so for me, I wouldn't I wouldn't hear a lot of responses because I was always busy being busy being busy. And whenever I would sit down to meditate, I would fall asleep. <laughs> I would feel bad. I'm like, I'm like, I suck at this. I keep falling asleep every time. Or like when I'd read a book, I'd fall asleep. Like every, every time I just got still, I'd fall asleep. Well, a lot of that had to do with, well, number one, I had significantly a really bad sleep apnea and didn't know it. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had really bad sleep apnea. And uh, at the time I was over 215 pounds. I had sleep apnea. I was severely anemic. So of course, every time I'm still, I go to sleep. But I was blaming my practice as if I just wasn't disciplined enough. And so when I began to sit in stillness um, and ask a question and invite in the answer. And, and, and the other part, Dave, was recognizing how I asked the question. So the quality of my answers, the quality of your answers are directly determined by the quality of your question. This is a really great lesson for me to learn that when I asked a question and it started with why, like, why is it so hard, God? Why is it? I am immediately asking for the most disempowering answer 
I could possibly ever find. Like, like why do I suck? Like, right, you still exactly. suck, right? Exactly. Well, <laughs> let me give you let me give you the top five reasons why you suck, right? <laughs> so, um, so I, I I begin to screen my questions. Like I begin to mind my <laughs> question. So I I only ask forward moving questions. And so instead of saying, God, why is this happening to me? I would say, God, what's the lesson that I get to learn because I'm going through this? That became that is, my question. That is such powerful, such powerful stuff. Thank you for saying that on the mm-hmm. show. Everyone, if you're listening to this, like rewind mm-hmm. 15 mm-hmm. seconds and hear mm-hmm. that again. It changed that everything. Important. It changed everything in my life. All of a sudden, all of my answers were sub- substantive things that I can actually do something with. Every single answer, because I'd ask the question, God, what am I supposed to learn? What lesson am I learning right now while, you know, I'm going through this breakup? God, tell me the areas that I get to strengthen in, in order to move through this challenging time. Like I just started asking forward pulling questions. And when I got the answer, the answer gave me things that I could be doing. And so um, I would do it in stillness. It's always been very challenging for me to sit still. It's just, it's been, but it's also when I could hear when I can hear my heart, when I can hear the universe, when I can hear my God speak to me, it's a whisper. I always say my head screams, but my God whispers. And that's beautiful. And, and so often I don't hear the, the God in me because my head is chattering so loud and I'm allowing my head to take over the conversation. So my job is to quiet my head so that my heart and my God and my internal GPS system, my God placement system, my GPS, mm-hmm. God placement system can navigate. That's oh, super profound. Um, what's the difference if someone's praying, you know, God, I want something to happen versus God, please help me make something happen. Right. What is the difference in outcome? Um, I want is asking for it to be delivered at your door by UPS Prime or Amazon Prime. And help me to make says, I'm a, I'm a co-creator in my own destiny. But here's the other part to that. Is a, an even greater question is, God, help me to make happen what you want for me. I love it that you said that. Yeah. Right, because <laughs> because when you have a finite outcome, whether you want God to make it happen for you or you've been God to make it happen through you. You have such a finite, you have such a finite, you only know, want what you want based on what you know. Yeah. Right. There's so much infinite wisdom beyond what you know, that to me is create for me and bring to me the most perfect experience. That's only mine to have and open my heart so that I receive it with full gratitude compassion and empathy. Allow me to be an instrument to use it for the greatest good, for the greatest number of people. Have have with it what you may. Like that, having Man. that kind of openness. That that gives me chills. And if you ever seen yourself do that, if you had my lenses right now <laughs> and your your voice changes like you lean forward and mm-hmm. I mean you're like like MLK or somebody like like literally your voice gets deeper and, and you're just like transmitting at full power. That that's some heavy stuff, but I, I love it. Amen. Um, Thank you. When when I meditate, um, I actually do something similar. I, I say, thanks for using me today. Mm, <laughs> like, I don't mm, really know. And of mm. course I have my goals, but that's all ego at the mm-hmm, end of the day, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where, you know, maybe my goals are stupid goals and I just don't know it. Mm-hmm. So if there's something else I ought to be doing, 
And, and this is tied into something, the reason I'm asking it this way, is tied into something you put on your website and something that infuriated me for the first half of my life as a computer science engineering guy. And you say, everything happens for a reason. Okay, why do you say everything happens for a reason? I accept it now, but I don't know why you say yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the, there's infinite wisdom. Like there, I believe that you're being prepared for experiences in 2022 that you don't even know about. And, and our dots connect. Our, there are divine appointments in our lives. And our ego says, if I don't know what good it's for, then it's for no good. But that's your finite understanding. There's an infinite wisdom happening on your behalf. There's things being orchestrated on your behalf. There are things that happened 20 years ago that next year are going to come to fruition. There's something you did. I got fired from five jobs in my 20s. I, I was, while you were on the college circuit, becoming extremely brilliant in, in education, I was getting fired from like retail jobs. Oh, I, I was failing my classes. Don't, <laughs> well, okay, don't, don't okay. mistake well, while I you barely were graduated. <laughs> while you were struggling in class, I was struggling in the, uh, out here in the world trying to figure out what was my gift. Like I just didn't know what my gift was. And, and I remember by the time I was 27, I was pregnant with Jelani and I was like, okay, Life is just over. Like this is, this is, it can't get any worse. I'd already been fired. Now I'm pregnant. And fast forward 15 years, I'm using every single skill set that I got from those five jobs that I was fired from. But you couldn't have told me that I needed that job as a, a office manager of an interior design company. You couldn't have told me that. You couldn't have told me that I was going to use my bookkeeping. You know, thank God I was I, I, I was horrible in accounting, but I was in bookkeeping for several years. I was in collections for several years. And so I just believe that that there is a a picture that's so much bigger than what you can see and contain. And you're connecting the dots for what's in your lenses right now. But the, the, the story is bigger and grander and it has pieces and there are parts that come alive that you have to have this experience five years from now to even trigger that to come alive. I just believe it so. And, um, and I believe that, I believe that if something, if something happens and it's not for you, then it's designed to make you stronger. So you understand, like, I, I just believe, and, and I could be woo woo and I could be, you know, okie pokey because, of, but I've been able to use everything. Either it gave me a good outcome or it gave me a good lesson. I needed both. I, I needed both. Either it gave me the result I wanted, or it gave me the spirit of patience and understanding, like where it doesn't give me the physical outcome. It gives me the character. If you look at it that way, but you can look at something in such a way that it absolutely has no value in your life. No value. The same thing can happen to two different people. We've seen it before. Same thing happens to two different people and one person uses this fuel and the other person is the turning point of their lives and everything goes bad from that point forward. I, I think it's the lenses you choose to look through. I, I selected a lens uh, and you know, I, I've certainly read The Secret, and you know, been influenced by the world of personal development, which certainly includes you. And, and thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, I've I, I've chosen a lens where I do believe everything happens for a reason, for the simple fact that 
even if it doesn't, if I can convince my subconscious that's true, I'm less stressed. Hi, hi. <laughs> so and, you can't and, you and, and you bounce back sooner, quicker, faster. Yeah, right. Yeah. And also, I don't have to know the reason. I used to, when uh, you're an engineer, you're like, there's a reason for everything and I have to know it so I can hack it. And now it's like, you know, sometimes I don't know the reason, but I got the result. I'm just going to go with it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And okay, here's another one. Do you believe in past lives? Um, I re- I respect the thought. I haven't I haven't delved deep into it. Um, I've I, I've hung around enough of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know you know our circle, and yeah. uh, so I respect the possibility. Um, I, I do believe that. I do believe that there are earlier versions of us. I do believe that we are an evolving. Um, we are an an evolving species. Um, I do believe that, um, I do believe that our spirit, um, isn't bound by time. That's a beautiful way of putting it. I do believe that I, I, I haven't put it in a context. I haven't put it in a finite way. Um, I found, you know what I found, Dave, I found that, uh, I grew up in such a rigid religion. Right. Um, and, uh, and, it, and I needed it. It, it. it was my foundation. You always, you, 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 you get what you need when you need it. Um, I have a lot of pain points around religion. And when I was able to find spirituality and I was able to find the peace and the grace of the ebb and the flow, I was able to find the peace and the grace of allowing there to be multiple forms of how God shows up. Um, the peace and the grace of like everything. Like I, when I begin to move inside of this expansiveness to go, wow, we're, we're all touching expanding beings. And however that looks, it felt so much better for me. And so while I don't know a lot about it, I, I embrace it as a possibility. Um, you know, just as I believe that there are angels that are dispensed around us. And uh, I, I, I feel my traveling angels come with me. I, I, I'm thankful for them. I send out extra angels when my son's on the road, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I've, I've, my spiritual evolution um, has constantly allowed me to take in more so that I can... Um, so that I can see more, so that I can have more, so that I can love more, so that there's there are no barriers. There's only bridges to from me to humanity. Um, so I believe that if someone experiences a past life, then they then then they have one. And I believe spirits do come to us. And uh, I believe I was absolutely a man at some point. I I resonate too much with the male energy. <laughs> I I just I, I know that there was something in me, an alpha woman, um, as well as I think that I was something very, very fragile at one mm. point, you know, because I I'm beginning to sit more in my very uh fragile, I, I wish I knew another word for it, but just my very gentle, delicate, delicate. I'm I'm, yeah, soft. I'm, I'm yeah. yeah, I'm relaxing more into my delicate, soft side. And she's just absolutely amazing to witness because <laughs> I've never met <laughs> yeah. her before. I've worked with a good number of of women CEOs and especially if you started you know 20, 25 years ago. Uh, like you did, man, it it was tougher than it is today. I, mm. I feel like we've made some progress. And so you have to bring so much masculine energy that when you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I need to be in mm-hmm. balance and be able to bring mm-hmm. forth the feminine and be able to bring forth the masculine, 
And that, those are some advanced spiritual ninja skills uh, to be able to switch from, you know, mom mode into yeah. alpha mode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you find a method or have a teacher in order to be able to, to switch that way? Or it sounds like you're still working on how do I turn on, you know, full feminine. Not that feminine is delicate. It's soft. Right. It, they're right. very different. Right. What, what's, um, your, what's your trick there? No, I did not have a teacher. Okay. <laughs> I did it's, not it's have a teacher. It's very weird to even talk about this on yeah. the show. I'm happy you can go there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, well, I remember when I first started, I would speak at this conference that uh, Jack Canfield, uh, your friend of mine, were, yeah. um, was at. And uh, T. Harv Eckert was at and Mark Victor Hansen and Bob Proctor and all of them. Well, all the and I, re- I remember wearing, uh, and I, it was 24 instructors and I was the only woman instructor. And I was the only instructor of color and I was the youngest instructor by 18 years. So no it was all, no, no, it was all <laughs> older white men and me. And I remember, um, this was an eight day conference and I spoke three times. The first time I spoke, I wore a Navy blue suit. The second time I spoke, I wore a black suit. And the last time I spoke, I wore a gray suit. And every time I spoke, I pulled my hair back in a really tight ponytail. Mm-hmm. And I realized I was trying to blend in. Yeah. And I was an unconscious. And I remember saying, if I step outside of this box of, of structure, they'll, they won't take me as seriously. They being the audience. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, 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 I played in that rigid box, which so many women CEOs do. Um, and I remember the, month, I decided I can't do this anymore. I had 18 suits. I gave all 18 suits away. And <laughs> my, so awesome. my girlfriend said, what if you go to a conference and they require you? She said, what if you're invited to a conference and they require you to wear a suit? I said, then I get to decline the conference. Like <laughs> if I don't get to wear a dress and a pair of pumps and stilettos, I don't want to play. Like, I just don't want to lose my, I don't want to lose my femininity. I, 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 I embrace her. It took me a while to, to meet her. You know, I'm a, I was an athlete. So I was, I was a Tom girl. And so I remember stepping into it, but making sure that it didn't come across too sensual and too sexual. And that was something I was concerned about. Um, and, and, and it's funny, you should mention vision early, earlier because Mind Valley was the place that I allowed myself to kind of play because they freaking didn't play by anybody else's rules anyway, right? Yeah, and it's so, a super playful event. Yeah, right? it's a super playful. So there I was able to let my arms out. I would never let my arms out. I would, you know, always have to have at least a T length, you know, or something. I said, no, I want to let my arms, I want to show my guns. I, I just began to sample a little bit more and a little bit more. And as my track record as a CEO kept growing. I would, it was almost like I gave myself permission, let a little more woman out. She's okay. See, she can play, she can handle it. But I, I literally had to dance with that. And, and as a single woman traveling, I also wanted to make sure that I was professional and that I, I didn't send wrong messages and that I, I, I didn't want to get to any place without same hard work as the next, you know, there's all these things going on. And then I had the same chatter as an African-American woman. What's different there? I mean, I I can put my mindset in a lot of these things, but this is a mindset I I don't have. So what's, what does that voice in your head say that's different? Well, that voice is where there are several women, they're probably not African-American. So there's another Mm. sense of no one else there. And so, um, so there's, there's that, that that's been me for years. Like most stages, I'm the only, uh, African-American on. Um, and, and, and I don't wear that as, uh, oh darn that, that, that to me is my super highlighter. It's like, I'm not worried about being the one you remember. 
You know, so I would always wear it as that. Like, uh, no, it's just one more highlighter for me. Yeah. And 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 when people would ask me, particularly African-Americans, would say, how did you get on these stages as an African-American woman? I said, I didn't get on the stage as an African-American woman. I got on the stage as an impactful speaker who has contribution to give to the audience. And so I don't wear any label, woman, African-American, single mom. I don't wear any label over my ability. Wow. I, I don't... So I, when people say, how did you do it as a single mother? I go, literally, I would forget that I was a single mother. <laughs> like I, I didn't, I didn't wear it. I, I, I didn't have the conversation like that. I did it as a mother who happened to be right in the journey with her son, she and her son along. I'm not doing it as a single mother. I'm not doing it as an African-American. I'm not doing it as a woman. I'm doing it as someone who has something to contribute to the planet, who just happens to be an African-American single mom. <laughs> does that make sense? Wow. That's how it, you it wear it. And so I would remind people, um, you step in the door and you drag every label with you. And then you spotlight the label and ask everyone to see you through it. And I just stopped doing that. I stopped. And, and, and I would, I would, I would correct people when they tried to put it on me too. And non-African-Americans, I would be in circles predominantly with white men. And they would say something at t- every now and again, like, well, Lisa, how, you know, how does it feel being the only woman here? And I go, I don't know. You tell me, how does it feel sitting with the only woman here? You know? <laughs> I turn it back on them and go, I'm not, I, I'm not wearing that badge. Or how does it feel as a black woman on this stage with T.R. Beckert? Uh, I'm a speaker who's given contribution besides T.R. Beckert. Like, like wow. I just would, I would, I just would put it right back on them. I'm not wearing it. And I would even, and single mothers were the ones that wanted me to wear it the most because they wanted me to be in the club. And I go, listen, I'm not, I, I, I'm not, I'm in a global club and I, and I am a single mom, but I'm not going to be restricted only to that. Like wow. there's too much of me. You sound kind of like Morgan Freeman. I, I've heard an interview with him, a, a famous one, and, and I was just blown away going, wow, you know, that's just like showing up with every aspect mm-hmm. of yourself all at once and not mm-hmm. overweighting any of them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in, including at this point now, you've got your alpha side, you've got your feminine side, mm-hmm. and you're able to just bring them all and, mm-hmm. and just be it, be you. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, it sounds like that's why when you go into that, I'm going to call it MLK mode, when you, you, know, you lean forward mm-hmm. and your voice changes mm-hmm. and you're just like, you know, <laughs> vibrating your message out there, you're showing up all the way. It's a, it's a very yeah. rare thing and it's, it's beautiful. So, you know, nice job. <laughs> Thank you. Dave, I look at it this way. Um, I've been saying for probably about 24 years, um, my grandmother taught me when, when I was young that when you get to the end of your life, what you want to hear God say is, job well done, my child. But I asked my grandmother when I was about 16, I said, grandma, why do I have to wait till the end of my life? Every night when I go to wow. bed, I'd like to hear job well done, my child. And so if you were to hear, to talk to my first employee, Margaret Packer, her anniversary was last week. She's been with me for 13 years. If you say, what does Lisa work for? She would say to hear each night, before she drifts off, drifts off to sleep. Today, you gave it all. Job well done, my child. There's this part in scripture. I don't know where it is. I don't know the scriptures in the Bible very well, but there's this part where this woman, um, uh, it was during famine time and a disciple asked her, she only had a little bit of uh, flour, a little bit of water and a little bit of oil and everyone was starving. And this disciple asked her, would you make me bread with this? She says, I only have a little bit for me and my family. And they said, but if you make it for me, you'll be taken care of. So she trusted. She had faith. She made the loaf of bread. And every day 
she would have a little bit of flour, a little bit of water, and a little bit of oil. And the next day, she would have a little bit of flour, a little bit of water, and a little bit of oil. And what's funny is I still don't know the scripture, but I've been asking my team, Margaret, the same person. I said, Margaret, tell me about the scripture. Because every day, Dave, I give my all. I'm not trying to hold anything for tomorrow because I believe tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to have a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, and a little bit of water to give tomorrow what tomorrow requires. That's uh, that's amazing. So it, it, it replenishes overnight. It's, 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 it's what does playing full out mean? Don't hold back. Don't hold back waiting for something to happen to give your all. Don't rob me of this moment. Don't rob anyone listening to you of this moment. Don't rob your family of this moment of love. Don't rob someone this the moment of transparency. Give the moment everything you have with the knowing that in the next moment, you'll get enough of what you need to give that what it needs. But don't hold back. Don't wait. Don't get ready to get ready to get ready to play full out. Play full out. Love full out. Forgive full out. Jump, leap, fly or fall full out. Just play full out because otherwise you will have the memory that you played at 40%. Wow. All right, Lisa, you've, you sold me. I got to take one of your speaking courses. You sound like Jack, you sound like Jack and JJ and everyone else. <laughs> I just I'm watching you do this, and your message is like is is on. But man, how do you deliver stuff like that? I, I mean, mm. I've I've been studying speaking for a long time, and Amen. I'm pretty well trained here. But I'm watching you, and so I'm like, man, you're a master, uh, both of, of the content. But man, like I don't know how you do that. But I'm watching that going. There's something special here. I'm gonna I'm gonna learn that from you. I would love that. I would love to show you. Okay, I will I will sign up. Now, we're almost at the end of the interview. And mm. guys, if you like this interview, the next phase of this is going to be part of the interview for the Biohacking Conference October 10th. Mm-hmm. And we're going to focus with Lisa on resilience and mm. on what makes her tick and how to have more resilience during, well, these uncommon, unfortunate times. In other words, during now. Right, right, <laughs> right. It, it's going to be really fun. So Lisa, thank you for being on the public part of Bulletproof Radio. And thank, thank you, you even more for being at the conference. Absolutely. I'm excited to be with you. I choose you, brother. Oh, thank you. Your website, motivatingthemasses.com. And, and guys, if, if you're looking in the world of personal development and you're saying, you know, how do I know what to do now? How do I find my purpose in my life? If you haven't figured it out from this interview, Lisa's one of the masters. <laughs> she actually knows what she's talking about at a very deep level. Uh, and there's a lot to learn from her work. So I really would highly recommend to check it out, follow her on social media and things like that. But motivatingthemasses.com is where to go. I promise you that there is deep knowledge here. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. 
This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.